this series we've been talking about mercy, the power of mercy. And uh, folks, this, this today, I, I, I hope, I'm looking around the room and I hope all of the empty spots are more connected with uh, the holidays than they are for the challenging message that I've been warning people about that was coming. I was teasing somebody the other day, um, it's fairly new to our church, and, and they're, they're kind of looking for a church home, so they come occasionally off and on, and, and I know that today wasn't in their cycle to be here, and I was teasing them. I said, so you're not going to be here tomorrow because uh, you know that there's going to be a really challenging teaching, right? And they just laughed at me. But uh, listen, I, I don't like to preach just hard things for the sake of just being harsh. Um, I love to challenge and to grow. I, I grow best under confrontational preaching. That's just how I am. And I have to remember that not everybody's like that. Um, but but uh, I'm just going to preach it today. Is that all right with you? Yeah. So this morning, I want to close this series out with the power of, of mercy and becoming like Jesus. It's, this whole thing about mercy has got a twofold purpose. The first purpose of it from God was the fact that he wanted to save us. He wanted to redeem us. Okay, We were in need of His mercy. Amen. Is there anybody in here that was never in need of God's mercy? Again, look at your neighbor and say, He's talking about you. You need it. I know. I live with you. I smell you on, on occasions. You need God's mercy. Your sin stinks. It stinks bad. And I'm saying that about myself too because I has been there. Amen. We've all been there. And God's mercy is in place for us, for our sin, first and foremost. Secondly, and the second purpose for it is that we actually receive that mercy. And once we have received it, he expects us to walk in the reality of it. In other words, the deity of Christ has been deposited in your spirit at salvation. He's planted his seed. He's planted his nature with inside of you. And at some point it needs to come out. Amen. Amen. Amen? It's got to come out of you. This, it's so vital for living a Christian life, okay? We call ourselves Christians. We've been talking for, for weeks, a few weeks now, about the mercy of God and what it means for us for salvation, what it means for us, uh, Him being our merciful friend, what it means for us in the sense that uh, He's our, our, our Father of discipline, He's our healer. All these things that we talked about, and it all flows from the power of God's mercy. And once we've received all that, God says, I want you to go and live in the power of mercy. Becoming like Jesus. Actually doing the things Jesus did. Actually behaving the way Jesus did. And folks, and you can't behave the way Jesus did without running into people. How many of you run into somebody over the last uh, weekend? How many of you went Black Friday Christmas shopping? I avoided. Wow, not very many of you. How many of you were the ones in New Jersey that trampled that poor Walmart worker? How many of you did that? Nobody? Okay. Listen, folks, we got to allow the mercy of Christ to flow through us. And we see clues of this in the Scripture, Matthew 7, 12. Follow with me on the screen. If you're taking notes, write them down. Please go home and read all these in context and just test your pastor and make sure I'm not pulling something out for my own glory. But Matthew 7, 12, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Let me clarify something. That doesn't say do unto others what they have done to you. Okay? That's our first reaction. Oh, well, they got it coming from me. I guarantee you. But they got it coming. Right? They did that to me. I'm going to do it back to them. Why? Because they deserve it. That's not what it says. 
It says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In other words, those times, those moments where you have done something wrong and you expect mercy and grace from somebody else, make sure when they do something wrong to you that you turn around and show mercy and grace to them. Nobody likes to be tongue-lashed, amen? Nobody likes to be pulled off to the side and chewed out and thrown around and barked at. We all would love... How many of you in the room have ever made a mistake? Just raise your hand with me. Okay, leave the hands up for a second. Oh, no, no. Some of you are like, I can't let... I can't... If I do that, my wife is going to hound me about having made mistakes because I've never been wrong a day in my life. Now, now look around the room. Everybody except for Maisie. Okay, Maisie, put her hand up. Last second. Has made mistakes. Maisie's mistake was, Larry, she didn't put her hand up when she was supposed to. Love you, Maisie. And I know you love to be pointed out during service, don't you? So, we've all made mistakes. And when we've made mistakes, we don't embrace the fact that somebody's going to tell us all about it. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you apply that into every, every aspect of your life, from work to marriage to church, to everything, I could be done right now. We can pray and go home. That's what Jesus said. Later, he's confronted by a Pharisee in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. 36. Uh, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Folks, we can't have the first part without doing the second part. You cannot... Love the Lord your God with all your heart and ignore your neighbor. You can't love God. You can't say you love God and don't love people. Because what God has placed inside of you by His love, it was done because His love for people. You cannot, listen, the churches are full of false conversions. You want to know what a false conversion is? A false conversion is a person that's cried bitter tears and said, Lord God, please forgive me of my sin, I'm a sinner. And then when they get up and they leave, they never change their lives to fulfill or fit with the same mercy that they receive from God the Father toward anyone else. That's a false conversion. That's a person that really believes they've received mercy. They've never grasped the heart of the Father. They said, okay, I'll love you, God, because you're going to save me from my sin and not allow me to be condemned to an eternal punishment in hell, what I deserve. You're going to set me free and give me all the blessings and promises as an heir, as a child of God, to be co-heirs with Jesus Christ. You're going to give me all this stuff, and I'm not going to be grateful enough to allow my life to look at somebody and shake their hand and smile. I'm not going to allow my life to reflect the life of Jesus Christ whatsoever. That, my friends, is a false conversion. It's not real. It's not genuine. They've not been changed by the power of Jesus Christ. You say, well, pastor, I understand, but people aren't changed immediately. I'm not talking about an immediate change. I'm talking about change. I'm talking about something. I'm talking about anything that once in somebody's life that they would stop and think about somebody else other than themselves. This is going to be so good today. The best example of this can be found in Matthew 18, in the parable of the unmerciful servant. And I'll just kind of set it up for you. We won't read the whole thing, but Peter looks at Jesus and he says, How many times am I supposed to forgive my brother when he sinned against me? Now, when somebody sins against you, that means they did it on purpose. Okay? Purposely, they've sinned against me. They weren't just stupid and ignorant and, and messed up and did something they shouldn't have. Now, most of us will shred them to pieces for that too, won't we? But the thing that was purposefully done, how many times do, do I forgive my brother when he sinned against me? Up to seven times? 
Peter's feeling pretty good about himself. Seven times is pretty gracious and forgiving. And Jesus said no, and different versions will say 77 times or uh, 70 times 7, which are two different whatever. But anyway, the fact of the matter is this. Jesus says you need to forgive them. And you need to keep forgiving them until you've forgiven them. Mercy. Mercy. You forgive them until you can't forgive no more and you keep on forgiving. He tells, Peter's, tells Peter these things and then he starts to tell him a, a parable about an unmerciful servant. That there was this king and he was settling accounts and he's bringing people before him and this man was brought before him who owed him 10,000 talents. It's a lot of money. And the man looks at the king and he says, all right, I can't do it. I'm sorry, please have mercy on me. Forgive me, please. And the king, being a gracious king, said, you're forgiven. Go on your way. And he goes on his way and he sees his brother. We know this, we've seen it a thousand times. Sees his brother who owes him 10 denarii, which is a small amount of money. It'd be a comparison of like $10 versus $10,000, okay? And he looks at him and he says, I want my $10. I want my $10. And he says, I don't have it. So he throws him in jail and has him brutally whipped and beaten. And he said, you're going to be punished to the full until you can pay me back. When the king finds out, look what he says in Matthew 18, 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is what the scripture is saying. It's saying that they've wronged you, they've done you wrong, but there's not anything that anybody can do to you in this world that can outheap the amount of stuff that you've sinned against me. And I've forgiven you of it. Don't you think you can forgive people of the little things they've done to you in this life? It's a small thing. It's merciful. Now in our minds, I don't want to belittle the things people have done to us. I realize there's abusive situations. I realize people can be pretty cruel. Amen? But what the Father is saying is, is it's not about you. What needs to happen is, is you need to have captured my heart. I forgave you of great things, but you, quick to tear others down, be unmerciful, unkind, false conversion. A person that is not truly surrendered to Christ, a person that is not willing to live out the nature of Christ in their life, now, I'm not here to beat you down and tell you you're not saved. I'm not here to tell you that you know, you're worthless and you're going to hell and you're just waiting for God's wrath. What I'm telling you is, and what I want to make clear to you is, is that you are very clearly in relationship with Jesus Christ and there is evidence of it in your life. And I want to talk to you quickly for about three things that will be evidences that we need, well, really a couple things that, that I want to encourage you in light of mercy of how we should be living. The first one is to be a merciful neighbor. Now, we talked about Jesus here a couple of weeks ago, how he was a merciful friend. Amen. He walked the streets. Anybody that came to him with a need, a genuine need, he met the need. Did he not? There wasn't anybody he turned away. Even little kids, when disciples tried to turn little kids away, he would say, let the little children come unto me, for such as these, they're going to receive the kingdom of heaven. He begins to talk, and he would bless the kids. Remember, the teachers wouldn't have time for that. They're too above that. But Jesus did. He was a friend. 
He's a merciful friend. So if we look at this in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Don't you just love people that test you? Know-it-alls? Don't you just love know-it-alls that are all the time just pushing, waiting for you to make a mistake? I get those sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? Not necessarily people from within the church. 98% of the time it's people outside the church that are just wanting to stir up trouble. Stinking know-it-alls. Makes me mad. Jesus handled him way better than I do. <laughs> anyway, i got to show him mercy. I'm sorry that you don't know everything. Anyway, you guys are really uptight today. You need to relax. I'm smiling up here. It's all okay. It's all a good thing. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to, Je- to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit et- eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? So this, this one testing him answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, let's stop there for a minute. Who is my neighbor? This man was testing Jesus, and in his mind he suddenly realized, oh, there's not a clarification of who my neighbor is. And how many of us know that all of us in our lives have a tendency to decide who is it that deserves mercy from me? Who is my neighbor and who is not my neighbor? Is my neighbor the person that lives next to me? Is my neighbor those that are in my closest friend group? You know, my little clique that I don't like other people getting into? Is my neighbor uh, somebody that's next to me at church? What is my neighbor? Because I want to decide who my neighbor is. Larry, you are my neighbor. You're welcome. I want to know who my neighbor is. Folks, I just want to challenge you this morning. Those who are in need of mercy are your neighbors. Those who are in need are the ones that need to hear from you, the ones that need to receive from you. Not the ones that have been talked about, not the ones that have been run down, not the ones that have been mouthed off about for hours and hours upon end where you've developed a special opinion about them. What you need to do and what I need to do and what all of us need to do is remember that we are not on this earth to be deciding who is our neighbor, who is worthy of our mercy. This man looks at him and says, okay, well then who's my neighbor? Because he already knew in his heart he wasn't being merciful to everybody. He wasn't being kind to everyone. He had a selfish mindset. And he thought he could twist the word of God to work in his favor. So Jesus hits him with this parable. In verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, naked, okay, naked man, beat up, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And he confirms in this what we have been saying for the last several weeks, that mercy is people that are in need of mercy are worthy of mercy. Go and do likewise. Find the one that's in need and make sure that you're showing mercy toward them. Here's the three people that go by. First two are religious people. 
They see a naked man beat up on the side of the road. They may have felt like he was getting what he deserved. Now, how many of you pulled up around Indianapolis or somewhere and there's been a panhandler in the middle of the road with a sign, cardboard sign, need food, need money for food. All of us have got our feelings about that. Pastor Bob, if I give him $2, he's just going to go spend it on beer. If I give him this, they're just going to take advantage of it and misuse it. Listen, that's between you and God. You need to be very prayerful about who you are showing mercy toward. I am guilty of it. Most times I don't, I don't hand anything. There have been times that I have, but most times I don't. Especially to the guy that was in Florida that had the cardboard sign on the side of the road that said, I'm going to be honest, I just want beer. I threw him a 20 and went on down. I'm just kidding. I, I, didn't, I didn't do that. But the people that were pulling up and giving him money were doing it joyfully. <laughs> this guy's honest. Honesty will say something about it. Just be honest with people. We have a tendency to drive by and look at him and say, you know what? Go get a job. Get a job like everybody else, you bum. I'm just telling you what goes through people's heads. You know, you wouldn't have to be begging for money. If you worked as hard at a job, you'd have a whole lot more money than standing out here just holding a sign for the last three hours. You see, pride will allow us to behave that way. I want to challenge you. I'm not saying give away to, to everybody. Be very prayerful and be very cautious because mercy belongs to those who are in need for mercy. Amen. Are some of them lazy? I'm sure. Are some of them in need? I'm sure. But my challenge to you is very simple. Don't allow your religious fervor or your attitude to look at people and say, well, duh, you're just getting what you deserve. You find a naked man on the side of the road that's been beat up, the tendency is to wonder why he got that way. Why is he naked? Why is he beat up? And these religious people, because he may have died and made them unclean, they had religious reasons why they couldn't associate with him because they were above that. They didn't show mercy. However... The one that showed mercy was not a religious man, but it was a Samaritan. The one that we all know scripturally the Pharisee would not have associated with. The one that Pharisee would not have considered himself to be a neighbor to is the one that stopped to help. Can I say this too? They may have thought it to be too inconvenient to have to deal with it. It might have caused them problems for their religion. They'd have had to clean themselves. They'd have to be outside the city for seven days, have to go through all this stuff. They would have had all these things. If the man should die, it was going to deeply inconvenience them. Let me ask you a question. The man that finally stopped to help this man, did it inconvenience him? He was headed somewhere. He stopped. And he helped this guy. And he, and he took him from where he was to an inn and took care of him there and bandaged him and, and nurtured him. And then... When he had to leave, he had no other choice. He gave money to the innkeeper to make sure that his needs were met. Listen, mercy will always cost you something. Jesus Christ went to the cross and died so that you might live. It cost him something. When somebody has sinned against you and they've done things wrong to you and they've said things about you that have been hurtful, they've done things that are hurtful and you have to show mercy toward them and work it out and forgive them, it costs you something. You have to humble yourself. 
You have to put away your right opinions. And for mercy's sake, begin to work out an avenue of reconciliation. You know, people are inconvenienced every day of their lives. Jesus was inconvenienced all the time. He'd try to go somewhere and there was always people. He'd try to go do something, he'd be on his way somewhere and people would be following him. We got all these people here, now we got to feed them. He'd feed them. Now there's another one sick, he'd heal them. He'd have compassion on them and he would heal them. He would stop what he was doing. Folks, sometimes we just need to stop. Stop being so busy. And think outside of ourselves and look for an avenue to show somebody a little bit of mercy. I go to ministers' conferences, I go to trainings and stuff, and they'll tell you, Pastor Bob, you need to make sure that you are protecting your study time, that you're protecting your sermon prep time, and all of that kind of stuff. If you have an open-door policy and people walk in anytime they want, uh, you're not ever going to get anything done, you're going to be unproductive, and it's going to steal time away from your family. I understand what they're saying, but let me say this to that in response to that. People that have, have, have deaths, people that have traumatic situations, people that are in the midst of hell on this earth didn't get it scheduled for their time frame. You know what I'm saying? People that are in need immediately didn't get it scheduled into their day and that's why they're knocking on your door. Uh, 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 Pastor Bob, I plan to, to have my father pass away at exactly this time yesterday and now I'm here to I schedule an appointment yesterday to come talk to you about it. Jesus didn't have to skip. Listen, these interruptions are divine appointments. Amen. The reason we don't show mercy to people is oftentimes we look at the divine appointment as something other than what it is. It's just an inconvenience. It's just an interruption. It's a one more thing in my day that I just can't deal with. If we can get past that and actually live with a God mindset and realize that because you are full of the deity of God, amen, that He's going to bring people across your path that you need to touch. You need to touch somebody's shoulder. You need to hug somebody's neck. You need to make sure that the needs are met in other people's lives. That you are the one that's reaching out. Do you realize the only way that you and I are believers today is because somebody inconvenienced themselves enough to look out for us and to speak to us, to nurture us, to teach us, to disciple us and raise us up in the faith. I still get people today that will come up to me and tell me that my grandma was their Sunday school teacher. Folks, you can make an impact by inconveniencing yourself a little bit, preparing for a class, or going to work, and praying for your, your, your co-workers, and looking out for them. Jesus didn't promise this man life, or eternal life, because of his deeds, but rather his deeds are proof of a genuine love for Christ. I really need to hurry. Matthew 25 says this, 34 through, it's a whole bunch, but just stick with me. 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me and I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you. The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for of the least of these, 
my brothers, the least of my brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment. But the righteous to eternal life what this is not saying it's not saying that we get to heaven by our works but it's showing us that our works are fruit or evidence of a true genuine conversion salvation there are those that just serve because that's what's been placed inside of them and there are those that are serving because of their religious nature and they're not serving for the right reason or the right heart they're not helping people they're not reaching out to people and there's going to be a rude awakening folks All this does is confirm what James says in chapter 2, verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. There has got to be an action of mercy in our lives. If we've received mercy, then we must live mercy. Can I share a little dream with you? Just a little vision real quick. I shared it in the first service, not in my notes, and I just want to share it with everybody. You never know. Maybe somebody, God's already planted it in somebody's heart, and it'll come into fruition. I would love to see our church be willing to organize and gather up clothing of all sizes and have somebody that would be able to organize it, shelving in our garage. We're getting it cleaned out a little bit at a time, but when it is cleaned out, to be able to organize our garage to a place to where we can put totes in there that seal tightly with clothing in them, clean clothes for all age groups of kids and even adults that we would have in our property, in our availability, when, when destructions like what just happened two weeks ago, that we can call families and say, we have clothes for you. So that when we can reach out to the community and have a meal and give them away clothes and coats and all those kinds of things, I have a desire to see that happen. I can't do it. It's got to be birthed out of our body here. One of the things we do really well, a couple of things we do really well at our church, we have three things. We love God, love people, serve others. We do really good on the first two. We love God, we love people. But serving others, we don't do very well at it's still a little bit aspirational for us in our church. I can get, for $500, I can get 5,000 pounds of food to just give away into the community. I would love to do that multiple times this coming year. If somebody would be willing to head up some of that stuff and help me do it. I have all kinds of dreams and plans and visions that God's placed in here, but I would love to see somebody step up and say, Pastor, that's who I am. I love to serve people, and I want to do it. Let's make it happen, folks. We need to be better at reaching out and giving people an opportunity to reach out. Amen. Our kids need to understand what it's like to show mercy and to give to people who don't need Pastor Bob, if you have 5,000 pounds of food, the only people that are going to show up are the people that don't need it and aren't willing to work. That's fine. You put your $5 into the offering already. Go home. And for those of us that are concerned about the few people that will show up that really, really need it, let's go ahead and do it and realize that everybody's going to come and you're just going to have to get past yourself. Amen? Because there's people in our community that have real needs. And we are the ones that have been equipped to meet those needs. Mercy. That's what we're called to do. The children of God should behave as the Father. Paul said, though I'm free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. That's the goal, is so that we would have an attitude of mercy to those who are in need so that they can find out who Jesus is. Secondly, that point was really long and I'm sorry. Secondly, we need to be merciful parents through proper discipline. 
Now, we can talk a whole bunch about discipline. I've already talked about how God disciplines us. He brings some stuff into our lives to grow us and to teach us. And uh, folks, I can talk about discipline on all levels. I can't uh, this morning. I don't have time for it. But I do want to focus on disciplining our children first. Most people don't think of discipline as a form of mercy, but it is. As a matter of fact, some of us have even been bullied to believe that disciplining our children is a bad thing. If you are here in this church today and you feel like disciplining your children is a bad thing, I would love to change your opinion. And if you don't change it, then I would love to discipline your children for you. (laughs) Take your bad kids home. Amen? No, I'm just kidding. we got to discipline them. Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him to, uh, is careful to discipline him. Now, this passage has been blown so far out of proportion that abusers have used it to say it's okay for me to abuse my child. Now, this is going to go on the internet, and I'm sure I'm, I may get, if somebody actually listens to it, may contact me and say, Preacher, you can't talk to your people in your church and encourage them to spank their children. Well, the Scripture does talk about it, But it also uses the term careful. Everybody say careful. You have to discipline carefully. You have to discipline and carry it out with an attitude of love. The term discipline has the word disciple in it. And the term disciple talks about teaching and and rearing up and raising up. Okay? Not beating down. Am I in the book? Scripture is very clear about fathers not discouraging and, and, and beating down their children. Discipline should always be consistent and specific to the need. Proverbs 23.13 Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Mommies and daddies, your kids need discipline. It's not going to kill them, is what that's saying. They need corrected. They need put in line. It's the most merciful thing you can do. You want to save them from death. You want to save them from the mistakes that they can make. And that Hebrew root word is naka, meaning to smite, strike, or hit. Again, the word careful should be in place. You say, Pastor, this is where you lost me. I'm going to share some wisdom with you. Joyce Seitz isn't here. I've used Joyce a couple of different times in this on Wednesday night, and I'm going to share it again. A few years back, uh, when Kevin was little, Alyssa was little, Joyce shared some great truth with April and I, and she said, you know, uh, sharing her wisdom from raising her kids, which they did a tremendous job, fine example. She shared with April, she said, you know, paddling and disciplining our children is not about how hard you hit. It's about bringing them into submission. It is the most wise words I've ever heard in my life. It's not about when they've, dis- when, they've, when they've been more rebellious that you hit them harder. That's called abuse. Okay? I'll give you an example. Discipline that is done in the right way, and I use Alyssa a lot, and she don't care. She said, that's fine, whatever, Dad. But when Alyssa was little, she was about yay tall, we had a process we went through, and she had a wooden spoon. Now, all of you sitting here going, I can't believe you beat that kid with a wooden spoon. Well, judge me all you want to. She's not scarred too bad from it. <laughs> Most of them healed up. Just kidding. Um, she, 
She would do something wrong, and we would sit down, and we would talk about it. And it was not like the first time she did something. It was when it was a repetitive thing, okay? We sit down, we say, okay, you know, we told you that if you did that again, you would have to get paddled. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, Daddy. I'm so sorry. We did not raise our voice. We just said, okay. And I loved watching April do it because she was way better at it than I was. Okay. You need, you need to go get the spoon. <laughs> I'm so sorry. They hand you the spoon. <laughs> and she bends over. Folks, when you get to that point of submission, I mean, tell me, is that abuse? You don't even, you don't have, it's not like when a kid comes to you, like you're going to draw back and break the wooden spoon over the four-year-old. You know what I'm saying? You're talking, (sighs) and then you hold them and say, sweetheart, there's consequences in life. When you do bad things, bad things happen. And mommy and daddy just want you to understand that. And they get a little older, you start saying, hey, you realize there's going to come a point where it's no longer a grounding, it's going to be the law. That's going to deal with you. And, and so you have, to, you have to teach and manage them in that way. Some people say, Pastor Bob, I, I, I beat my kids. Yeah, heck yeah, I, I paddle their bottoms. Listen, if they're 16, you're still whooping their backside, you might want to find a new avenue. Okay? It does, when it says rod, it doesn't mean that that's your only option. Okay? Discipline is teaching and training your children. It's the greatest act of mercy that you can have for your kid. Otherwise, your kid's going to grow up and not realize there's any boundaries on themselves. And I will tell you this, mom and dad of little kids, birth to four, birth to four is when they learn it. If they don't get it by four years old, you can almost hang it up. I've learned that by experience. You can do everything right after that, and it doesn't matter. I'm telling you. Birth to four. If that look, I don't care if they're being sassy at three and your mom and dad and the family sitting around laughing about watching them being sassy, you can guarantee it at 14, 15 years old, they're going to sass you all over the house. Come on. Amen. It's not abuse. It'll save you a whole lot of grief later. And if you're still paddling their backside at 16 years old, <laughs> How about 14? Can't Remember, Dad, when it was easy and you could just paddle me and it would be over with? Can't you just paddle me? Whatever you do, just don't take my phone. You've learned the proper new avenue by which to uh, administer the best discipline your child can learn through. For example, Alyssa again, on the way home after an incident, something had happened and it came through her mouth. And I'm driving down the road and I said, baby doll, let's talk about this for a minute. What, Dad? Well, that situation, let's see. What did it involve? What part of you? Let's not just talk about what was said. There's a root that drove it. Let's talk about that root. Well, the root was found in, we decided that it was found in communication. You know, you, you were having communication problems, weren't you? She said, yeah, I was. So I said, well, I already knew where I was going with it. So, well, let's see. What can we do that would help you, you know, uh, understand your communication and get things under control? You know, if we took the TV away for a week, that ain't going to really matter much because it's not really communication. So, so how about if, let's just say, we take your phone and we take your, your iPad and your connection to the Internet and, and social media and that kind of stuff for the next seven days and give you an opportunity to be able to converse 
face to face with people for a while until you're able to communicate properly. And if we feel like you've grown through that and learned, then maybe we can start working back into some of the more modern ways of communication because you will have grown and matured and, and be able to be trusted with it at that point. <laughs> did I just lose my phone for a week? Yes, you did. Listen, mom and dad, it ain't going to kill them. I know they think it's going to kill them, but it ain't going to kill them. I know you guys just totally shut me out and ignore me. I don't listen to this whatsoever. It's not going to kill them. They need to learn. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of them need to learn communication skills. I'll just put that little plug out there for all the moms and dads in the whole room. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Proverbs 19.18 says that. If you are not disciplining your son, you are going to be held accountable for what you're doing. Now let me say this clearly. You can do everything right, and still sometimes they want to be a knothead and do what they want to do, and they get in trouble. But it's a peaceful thing to stand up and say, you know what? We did absolutely everything we can do. He just being a knothead. So now, I guess the law will take care of it, or now I guess the doctor will take care of it, or whatever it may be that comes along. There's natural consequences in life. So we've got to be uh, willing to do that. You say, what are you talking about? If you don't discipline your willing party to death, what do you mean? If they're 16 years old and they got a speeding ticket for going 80 and a 55 and you do nothing for them, if you don't take the keys from them for a little bit until they learn how to drive appropriately, then what you're doing is, is laughing it off and say, well, I used to speed when I was a kid too and it's not a big deal. Every kid goes through that phase. Then when they wrap that car around a tree, don't come crying to me about it. You've got to admit your responsibility as a parent. You're administering mercy to them and unto yourself. And folks, I know, I know that sometimes discipline inconveniences mom and dad. Mercy always costs us something. And when it's a 16-year-old and they can't drive themselves to all their sporting events anymore, and now you've got to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and get them to their early morning workouts, and then you've got to go and pick them up after practice, and then you've got to take them to get something to eat and bring them back and drop them off so they can catch the bus to go to the game, and then you drive to the game to go watch them and the whole time thinking, I'm wasting a whole lot of gas, time, and energy because they don't know how to stink and drive. If you give in to them, you will have wasted it. It's going to cost you something. But you are sparing their life by the mercy. It's costing you something. Discipline always costs something. For this reason, as spiritual father and mother, uh, we always need to pour into those that we're mentoring, so on and so forth. I just need to skip that and move on because we got too much to hit and then be done. People are going to fall asleep. Did you all know that a glass of water showed up at the manger scene? Um, they had a hot tub right there at the manger scene. I didn't even know it. <laughs> glass of water. I just gave a glass of water to Jesus in his own name. Oh, my goodness. So we need to walk in mercy. And I'm going to close it out with these thoughts. God has placed his deity inside of us and needs to come out. We need to act like Jesus. What did Jesus do? He loved his enemies. He loved his enemies. People that intentionally attacked him. Has anybody ever had anybody intentionally attack you? I mean, not necessarily just physically, but verbally and talk about you and run you down? Or is that just my life? Everybody has that? I think we all do to some extent. If you have a workplace, a work environment, you have it. If you go to school, you have it. If you have life with family, eh, you even have it there too. <laughs> so congratulations. 
He loved the Pharisees enough to try and rebuke them to bring light to their ways. He destroyed their theology. Matthew 9.13, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew 12.7, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Excuse me. These people had kept the poor at a low place in society while exalting themselves. You know, when we read back in that list where the king had those on his right that were welcome to the kingdom, those on the left that were cast out, one thing that he didn't mention to any of them, he said, oh, I saw that you went to church all the time. I saw that you were at church every Sunday. He didn't say that to them. He said, those of you that actually captured my heart and extended mercy, to whom? Even those that are mean to us? Yes. Even those that talk about us? Yes. Even those that have said things and done things intentionally hurt us? 100% yes. Those who sinned against Him. He dealt with the sin in their lives. Matthew 23, 27. What are you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. He rebuked them. He taught them. But at the same time, folks, He would go into their houses. He would go and eat with them. He would converse with them. He would talk to them. He would pour into their lives so that they might be saved. He loved them. He died for them. How many people do you know right now that have it all together? That have it all figured out? Look to your right and left. They don't have it figured out. And notice that somebody's to the right and left of you. You don't have it figured out either. And we're all in need of mercy. How many people do you know right now that have offended you? That have said something, whether pur- uh, purposefully or not on purpose or out of ignorance, have offended you in some manner. Listen, there's always going to be somebody that can offend us in some way, some fashion. Folks, it's not doesn't give you the right. I just said snot, didn't I? It doesn't give you the right. It doesn't give you the right to lash back at them and behave the same way they did towards you. Amen. Why? Because there's deity inside of you. These individuals are worthy of your mercy. Your Savior died for them. Jesus even showed mercy to the deceived. Remember the woman caught in the act of adultery? Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No no one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. He had every reason. He could have stoned her, said, He who is without sin cast the first stone. Those of you that are perfect, go ahead and cast the first stone. They all left. He could have done it. But he chose not to. How many people do you know that are living a, a life of filth and sin that you won't associate, so you haven't associated yourself with in the past? Maybe it's drug addiction. Maybe, maybe it's adultery. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's you go down the list of all different things and you could look at somebody and say, I cannot associate with that person because they're just the scum of the earth. Listen to me, my friends. They may be the scum of the earth, but that right there has made them worthy of your mercy. Amen. Your mercy, your love. People don't need more Christians throwing stones at them. They need Christians that will address their sin, but forgive and help them up and to walk in mercy. He had mercy on the hurting. Remember the Canaanite woman. Her daughter was suffering. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. He healed her daughter. Blind Bartimaeus, Lord Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The requests were answered. All these things were answered. In all these situations, Jesus had to stop what he was doing and deal with an annoying person. Do you know anybody that's been a little obnoxious in your life? Extend grace. Extend mercy. Jesus met the need rather than following the reactions of everyone else involved. He likewise should always, we should always step back and assess what the root is rather than attacking the person. He was merciful to his oppressors. 
They called him names. Matthew 10.25 It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house had been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? Folks, people, if you're going to live and you're going to call yourself a Christian, somebody's going to call you names for it. They're going to make fun of you. It's okay. Jesus experienced it. You'll experience it. Show mercy to those that have done it. Even the, those that were on the cross. Uh, he, he, he looked at them. He was on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for what they do. They don't know what they're doing. They don't get it. And even the thief on the right and the left, they begin to ridicule him and say, oh, save yourself. But then something snapped in one of them and he said, when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? And Jesus assured that one that had just earlier had been ridiculing him. This day you and I will be together in paradise. Mercy. Folks, do you approach people that have wronged you, that have sinned against you, those that have beaten you down, those that have said things, do you approach them with an attitude of patience or an attitude of hatred? We should be merciful to even those who make fun of us and mock us. To act in the same way as a Christian would be representing Christ as a sinful man rather than a spotless and perfect lamb. Last scripture I want to share with you, James 2.12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We've talked about this multiple times. Mercy is greater than judgment. Mercy is greater than condemnation. And friends, we leave this place today. I challenge you to remember that. Challenge you to live it out. Do you realize if we would live this out in our marriages, how different things would be? My wife's merciful for me. You know why she's merciful? Two things. I leave my socks in the middle of the floor and I leave my shoes by the back door or behind the chair. You know what she says to me? She picked them up and she laughed. She goes, just picking up your shoes and your socks again. But she picked them up. Thank you, dear. Sorry. Let me tell you what, I'm merciful with her. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if, you have a mer- if you have a marriage that's full of mercy and a workplace that's full of mercy, who is it that you walk by into the cubicle every day? Who is it that you walk by into the classroom or into the, uh, uh, in the hallways at school as a student? When you walk from your bedroom, moms, from the bedroom down the hall and into the kitchen to prepare breakfast for your kids, who is it you walk by that needs your mercy that day? Now, we can walk through life with a condemning attitude every day if we want to, but I'm going to tell you what. You are not going to be fruitful for the kingdom that way. And you are not going to raise up people that are grateful in your home or disciples around you. Mercy. Mercy. If we would just live that way, churches would not be splitting. There would not be infighting and backstabbing. There was mercy. Doesn't mean the issues aren't ever dealt with. It means they're dealt with with mercy and with an attitude of reconciliation. Folks, I'm not having an altar call today. I'm commissioning God's people to live as He's lived. In the power of His mercy, go and be like Jesus. Amen. The power is inside of you. The ability is inside of you by His Holy Spirit to guard your tongue, to guard your heart, 
to guard your actions and to make sure that they're brought into submission of who He is. Go and do it today.